1: And tame,
0: and tame, and tame again. Crank
2: up the music, charge a glass, this nation is going to dance all night. Middlesbrough Sombreros, Sheffield Wednesday's Cold Supermarket Pizzas, the Savo Milosevic Pritstick, Ibrahima Bakayoko, Eric Cantona's brother singing Ace of Bass, and the definitive example of the English premium. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football cliche. Right now, you can enjoy The Athletic for just £3.99 per month as part of our January sale. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod and sign up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Football Clichés Pod. I'm Adam Hurry, and with me uh, once again to... uh, Uh, After the fallout from the Barclays 11 last week, Nick Miller, it it went okay in the end. I've spent all week kind of regretting Mark Albrighton on the right wing. I think we've been called out quite correctly about that. I
1: don't know. I think, it's. I mean, as we did try to state many times, there were no hard and fast rules to this. It was uh, very much about a, a, you know, a vibe. Um, But, you know, some people's vibes were just pre-2008. Or when when was it that (laughs) Albrighton made his debut? 2009? 2009, apparently. Yeah, I know it's been eating away at
2: me. Um, But, yeah. That you got to have a weak link in your team somewhere, and perhaps that was it. So, you know, I concede to some of our listeners there. Uh, alongside you in a virtual sense, James Horncastle. Hello, James. Welcome back.
3: Good to be back, as always, Adam. I mean, there are plenty of
2: talking points in. in- in the world this week, uh, perhaps the biggest of them all, a fairly serious one, I suppose. I want to get your take on it as a man of the world. Um, sopranos or Sex and the City?
3: Uh, always Sopranos. I don't, I don't want to come <laughs> across as as being cliched in that uh, in that way. I have seen all of Sex and the City not once, but maybe two or three times by osmosis because uh, my my wife has uh, always used to watch it. And uh, bizarrely, we got out of a car in New York once. Uh, and Sarah Jessica Parker was on the street in front of us, and uh, and oh, Mrs wow. H, H, uh, I, I kind of plucked up the courage to do what I'd never ordinarily do, which was to go and say, "Can you, you know, take, have a photo taken with my wife?" And my wife was struck <laughs> dumb, like literally struck dumb. She could not say anything. She could not. She, it, it was it was humiliating for her in the end. Uh, she's never lived that down. So <laughs> wow. she'll she'll be delighted that I've uh, I brought that to. Uh, the football cliches podcast audience so
2: definitely wasn't expecting that backstory. That's sensational. Uh, personally, I'm up to series eleven of ER, and that's where I'm <laughs> sticking safely middle of the road. Uh, does that mean there's anyway. still
3: another ten seasons to go of ER? Because it does feel like uh, uh, only three more. Yeah.
2: Only three more. What is it with hospital dramas um,
3: that have so many seasons? They've got such a longer shelf life than you know, Sopranos, The Wire. You know, they can just keep going and going and going.
2: I know you think they'd run out of ways of. People getting injured and, and ill and, and suffering medical complications and um, other assorted dramas therein, but no. No, it, it, the, the level it maintains is astonishing, and it's not dated, and that's the crucial thing. Um, just great performances across the board, as there will be in this podcast, in fact. Um, first of all, for the adjudication panel to take care of this week, Nick, worrying scenes on the one show A few days ago, when they carried out the FA Cup fourth and fifth round draws, which was a you know a a sacrilege, I got my my head round and made peace with more or less before Peter Crouch kind of turned FA Cup draw technique on its head. Yeah, I wasn't happy. I mean,
1: yeah. (laughs) So, so what what was it you you weren't happy about? Was it was it because it was the possibly the first sort of meta? Um, cup draw in which he he referenced a, a famous moment from a previous cup draw in with Rod Stewart. Of Sorry, course.
3: Adam's reaction there was much <laughs> like my wife when she was encountered by Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> he just, just, just couldn't get the words out. It's like what's happening here.
2: I don't think she's I don't think she's quite as um, slightly furious as me. But um, there are there are two aspects to it, Nick. First of all, it was it was the, it was the the reach and pluck, which I uh, which I gather is a homage to Rod Stewart's um, infamous. Scottish Cup draw, um, but, the, but the thing that really grabbed me, and I feel like this must break several of the FA statutes somewhere in their dusty books, is that he didn't wiggle the balls around before he plucked one out, he just he just reached in, took a ball and, and took it out again, can't do that, can't do that!
1: Uh, he was he's obviously um, sort of focusing too much on his other technique and his, his banter with Rashmin to, to really, you mm. know to get into the nuts and bolts of the FA Cup draw traditional techniques.
2: I will concede that he did deliver on the the banter front, which is a not inconsiderable aspect of doing the FA Cup draw. Um, James, in that FA Cup draw, of course, Man United drew Liverpool. I mean, maybe this is just pure percentages, but this sort of thing seems to happen quite a lot where a team... Two teams will draw each other in the cup shortly after they have to play each other in the league, which conjures up this lovely phrase, dress rehearsal, which I, I haven't heard since year four. <laughs> but I'm not sure if this qualifies as such. So they play in the league on the 17th, mm. Sunday the 17th, and then they play again in the FA Cup a week later. Is the, first, is the league game a dress rehearsal for the cup game? Is that how dress rehearsals work? I think so.
3: Well, I don't think they're really class as dress rehearsals anymore because um, ultimately right. it, w- it will it will perhaps be a completely different team, you know, in, in, in you know, mm. praying to the gods of rotation uh, and uh, <laughs> on this congested fixture list that that's in, invariably mm. the people who get to rehearse their lines and their parts and feel really confident uh, treading the boards in that first game might not be... On stage in the second, in, in in the actual cup game. So you know, it's bizarre okay. how this happens. I mean, I was thinking about this in Italy just this week because, as we record, I mean, literally as we record midday UK time, mm-hmm. there is Coppa Italia mm-hmm. going on, and yet, and the weekend oh. there was AC Milan against Torino, and then yesterday AC Milan against Torino, and I, I, I mean. I think we're all at a stage now where we've got kind of football overload because it is just being played every three <laughs> hours rather than every three days. Yeah. But when it's the same same game repeating itself, it's just, it feels like there's a glitch in the Matrix or some really bad deja vu going on.
2: Are midweek sort of lunchtime kickoffs an Italian thing? What's the attitude towards it? We'd, we'd hate that here, surely.
3: So, so there are a couple of things here. Like uh, on the day of the epiphany, so January the 6th, which is essentially. Uh, Italy's <laughs> right. boxing day you know like wh- whereas whereas mm. anywhere else in the world man some you know, some other countries do play football at Christmas and on 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 the, the Christmas over the Christmas period but um I would say that Italy's equivalent of Boxing Day is the epiphany, but it's when most other countries go back to work. So in the UK, it's right. always like, aha, these crazy Italians playing at lunchtime on a Wednesday on, in, in the middle of, uh, yeah, sort of the beginning me. of January. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, it's yeah. because of that, whereas the Coppa Italia has just oh, been right. kind of uh, sold sold to the devil, I would say, which is the, which is television. Mm um and uh, sold to, to sort of international broadcast so it's just like you know how can we get people to watch the copper italia in i don't know china oh let's let's make sure interplay <laughs> at, at one o'clock on on a uh, on a on a wednesday so there you go
2: i, I dread to think what number b in sports channel that was on i'm going for low 30s um no offense to the copper <laughs> italia and, and its storied history um nick just mm. to tie this this quandary up um I put it to you that the dress rehearsal in the FA Cup we've got it the right way around the league game is the dress rehearsal for the cup game but I can't I can't have fourth round as as being the main event we should be looking to a semi-final quarter final, that sort of
1: thing or even a final I I think I think only the final if it's two sort of um, disparate teams semi I'll I'll accept semi-final if it is if it is Manchester United against Liverpool for example if it's a a sort of a, a really big ticket game um, but yeah otherwise I think just the final what I thought the
3: the draw was a curious fusion of Adam with Peter Crouch and Rod Stewart was uh, if you've seen the 1992 Rumbelow's uh, quarterfinal draw oh yes where Saints and Greavesy with, with Donald Trump um, and, mm. and Trump pulls Leeds and Manchester United out of there and they say, you don't know what you've done, Donald. You don't know what you've done. <laughs> and, I mean, if that was the worst thing he'd ever done in his in his career, then I think we could all make peace with that. That'd be fine.
2: All eyes on the next 25 years of Peter Crouch's political career. <laughs> um, who knows? In other grave news this week, James, um, it's a very sombre announcement from the uh, the powers that be in the snooker world said that following today's batch of negative COVID-19 test results, all remaining players are cleared to play and are on site at the Betfred Masters in Milton Keynes. Uh, there was only one picture that they could really accompany this tweet with, which was the um, the snooker equivalent of a corner flag, which was the <laughs> corner pocket. And it really worked. It really it hit home in exactly the same way. Um, does this translate to other sports? Is this, is this it now, corner flags equivalents in... In Formula One, or God knows what.
3: Yeah, what is it? A chicane, just a, a, a or or like in an, mm. an empty pit stop in <laughs> uh, in, in, in Formula mm. One. Maybe just one of the kind of the, the pit crew just waiting to to screw some nuts out of a out of a out of a tire. <laughs> yes, just waiting forlornly for that to for that to happen. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think uh, you know. As we saw, was it at the Masters in in 2019, snooker snooker Masters when Stephen Shawari basically came over to Ali Pali. Um, to meet his 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 gods. I mean, he will have refreshed his Twitter feed from his sort of uh, Chinese Super League um, sort of golden golden cage, just thinking. At least I'm going to get some snooker this afternoon, you know. So it was a uh, somber, but you know, sort of also restorative. It's like you know, this is the human condition. This is this is why we will never give up. This is why we have endured for centuries.
2: Oh wow! All that from all that from a corner pocket, <laughs> um, Nick. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt, but it, it does feel like it was a deliberate move, a deliberate homage to the to the somber football corner flag.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I haven't seen this. Uh, you know, it might turn out that the corner flag is a somber homage to the corner pocket picture, but um, yeah, I'd like to think that the, the they very much knew what they were doing there. They've got a, you know, got a uh, someone who's a fan of a of the uh, the the somber the solemn announcement standard picture mm-hmm. in, in football. In cricket, there's a similar thing where it's usually um, a lonely cricket ball resting gently against the boundary rope, um, with ideally with the kind of. You know, empty, forlorn field in the background.
2: Who does this? Who sets it up? I want to know. If if you are that person, get in touch. Stock image people. <laughs> Finally, for the adjudication panel this week, James, uh, you mentioned uh, the concept of squad rotation uh, a moment ago. Um, this was Steve Bruce talking before Newcastle's game against Sheffield United this week. He said, um, when when asked if he would make any changes for the game, he says, um, "Well, that's why the new word is rotation, <laughs> uh, or what have you." Um. I didn't, think, I didn't think that was such a newfangled concept. I mean, there, managers of a certain vintage do seem to regard things as, as, as beyond, their, beyond their comprehension just because they are, you know, of a, of a certain vintage. But I didn't think rotation would be beyond Steve Bruce as a concept.
3: Well, is it, is it that it's a new concept? Because, I mean, uh, to go verbatim with the quote, it's a new word. To him, it's almost like he was watching Countdown.
2: Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I, he, I'm, I'm at peace with the idea that he knows whether to make a <laughs> put a player in or not. He's not going to make an unchanged team for the rest of his life. But um, but yeah, it, it was just, it's I, just I this know, idea he was watching
3: Countdown, and and, and he, he, he had he had so many words, and he saw rotate as one, and he's all of a sudden like, wow, okay, rotate, going to add that to the vocabulary rather than a concept, which I thought had been pretty much ingrained in Premier League uh, Premier League culture. Really, since Rafa Benitez yeah. turned up uh, uh, at Liverpool, and all of a sudden this, we had you. this kind of culture war yeah. about some, yeah, this guy coming in rotating.
2: I, I I thought it went back even further than that. I was going to ask Nick who pioneered squad rotation and all its evils in the Premier League, but maybe maybe Benitez is about right. I don't know.
1: I think, but Benitez is pro- I think probably. Um some of the dastardly uh, foreign managers that Chelsea had in the, the, the 90s. Mm. Oh, the Tinker Man, of Yes, course. of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the thing I liked about the Benitez famously went 99 games um, without naming an Unchanged 11 and then kind of sarcastically uh, named uh, an Unchanged 11 for the 100th game, just so he couldn't <laughs> they, they couldn't put the nice round figure on it.
2: Nick, it's just the latest example of sort of a mini phenomena in managerial press conferences where they declare something to be... And they always prefix this answer with, well, it's the world we live in, isn't it? And, uh, and then they sort of introduce this concept that maybe someone in their 20s will definitely understand, but a manager in his late 50s, early 60s definitely won't. It's always social media. Social media seems to come up quite a lot. So, uh, Twitter, oh, I don't understand any of that. Or No, I'm not on Twitter. The players do it, but no, it's not me. Uh, I felt like it was part of that extended family.
1: Yeah, and um, and managers, uh or, or rather, men of uh, Bruce's over saying things about Instagram, like, why do I want to look at the sort of picture of someone's breakfast? That yes, kind of yes. Um,
2: it's 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 a bit like if someone said to him, oh, I don't want to watch twenty-two men kicking a pig's bladder around a pitch. Yeah, he'd yeah, hate that. Yeah, he'd hate that. So yeah, maybe worlds colliding there. But you know, if he's not if, he, if he's not going to get into it into squad rotation now, he never will. On to the main event this week, the reason why you're both here. Now, James, um, I feel like the foreign influx is one of the pillars of the Premier League story. Uh, in fact, the word influx itself, I feel like I would only know through the Premier League. I would never have heard it in the rest of my existence. The foreign influx evokes so many emotions from people, I fear.
3: Yeah, I mean, like you, and, and, and again, I've, I've just said that Steve Bruce was you know, has only just uh, discovered the word rotate. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. influx. I mean, the only thing that, the only other thing that comes to mind is acid reflux, and maybe that's because I'm approaching my forties or something
2: like <laughs> yes. that.
3: Um, but but yeah, I, I suppose what I really liked about the the the, the so-called influx uh, when the Premier League began is is because, for example, the Premier League at that time did not have the same allure as, say, Serie A or something mm-hmm. like that. You just got some wonderfully random. Maverick foreign players coming in. And I've got a particular affection for players who remain to this day the only players from their country to have played um, in the Premier League. I think that's a that's a particular honour to have. Wow. I was surprised to see that uh, Onel Hernandez from Cuba, uh, who was at Norwich, I think, last mm. season, still the only Cuban to, to have played and uh, just, just other guys like that, really. Manucho, I mean, as, a, as someone who grew up in Hull and you know, has got many <laughs> kind of Hull City fans, when Manucho came from Manchester United, the Angolan, and he scored that kind of last-minute winner against mm. Fulham. I mean... Minuccio still still a hero of the Humber.
2: I I, I see you're also a connoisseur of the famous Wikipedia page list of foreign players in the Premier League, (laughs) which is making me hastily reassess the cliché quiz that I was going to do at the end of this episode. Nonetheless, nonetheless. (laughs) um, Nick... Within, within the general theme of the foreign influx to the Premier League I feel like there are very distinct chapters James touched on uh, one of them just there which was kind of the very early years of it where there was no there was kind of no pushback to it whatsoever every foreigner who came to the Premier League or, or, for a reasonable fee or or with a reasonable backstory they were welcomed with kind of awestruck arms it's like who is this why are they
1: here yeah I remember seeing uh, Rude Hollett when he's after he signed for Chelsea and he, it, in my head, he was—he was sort of glowing like the ready-break kid, yeah. because of because of how kind of uh, it was like this sort of ad, advanced life form that had sort of deigned to walk among the the, the mortals. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether that—I I don't really know whether he was actually good or. Whether or he was actually that good, or whether he was just famous, and he was you know trotting out in midfield against David Phillips when I saw Chelsea against Forest, so it, you know, but by that standard, he he looked like this kind of glowing guard.
2: Yeah, Hulit had. Um a very distinct aura about him. I, I understand what you mean. I mean it, it, almost irrelevant to his standard at the time, given his ravaged knees and things like that. Um, this is a quote from his debut for Chelsea against Gillingham in a pre-season friendly in 1995. The setting was so unlikely as to be surreal, but there was no mistaking the dreadlocks. Ruud Hullit, former European and World Footballer of the Year and one of the best footballers of his generation, was playing at Gillingham. Had it not been for the extensive advanced billing, it would have been like finding your mother on stage at a strip club. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. Of all the ways to describe Rude Hulot, James, don't think that's quite what I would go for.
3: Well, I mean, just going back to what Nick was saying about seeing this person sort of glowing um, on, on the mm. pitch. I mean, uh, again, sort of juxtaposing that with this other metaphor of seeing your mother on the, on the, on the pole. Um, is, 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 is is quite something but uh, I think one of the things that was, was great about that really cosmopolitan Chelsea team is that they introduced new concepts not just new words into the uh, the English football lexicon and uh, this okay. idea of that football could be sexy sexy football remember I mean yes. that was something that was mm. just like what, what 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 is this sexy football again you know like seeing your mother in a strip club uh, or not um, it depends who you are Oedipus I don't know whatever but there you go there's <laughs> like really picking um, away at psyches
2: here I'm not sure what the threshold was for sexy football in, in England in sort of 94-95 um, I mean you know three consecutive passes along the floor I imagine would have been it but um, Nick amongst all those kind of awestruck um, receptions that some of these players got and, and rightfully so you know Hullet was was right at the top at, at one stage there were some, some rather more quaint unveilings of certain players, which which really d- it didn't tap into anything more offensive than just I, d- I don't know just a very reductive um, attitude to what um, foreign people do every day. I give you, for example, um, <laughs> Benito Carboni and Paolo Di Canio, both separately and then cl- together being unveiled at Sheffield Wednesday with frozen pizza. And spaghetti bolognese. Uncooked, sort of really cold spaghetti bolognese by all accounts. What were we doing? What was wrong with us? It's not that long ago, is it?
1: The, the, the th- I mean, the thing about the... Um, as you mentioned, it's the uncooked thing. The, 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 they're holding these kind of... And they look like the sort of value... As the value pizzas that um, are just kind of... Yeah. They're uncooked, so you can see the cheese hasn't melted. That They're sort of flopping. Yes. They're holding them... Uh, in their hands, and the one edge of the pizza is kind of flopping over the edge of their hands. I mean, it, it's a borderline offensive, yeah, I, th- if, th- know, I think it is for any
2: connoisseur of this sort.
1: As is, uh, I, and I, I, there were a couple of other ones that I would, um, class as borderline offensive. I, 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 I assume this one was, a, was an unveiling picture, but, um, when Roberto Martinez and the other two, mm. three amigos, um, Hezis Saber and Isidro Diaz, which I did, I'm afraid I did have to look up um, before this. Well remembered. Um, Wearing sombreros, which um, is, you know, (laughs) just, I mean, very much file under, you wouldn't get away with that now. Um, And and you can definitely file under. And I don't, I actually, this is possibly cheating because I don't think this was an unveiling, but um, the infamous picture of Uwe Rosler wearing a t shirt um, that said, uh, Rosler's dad bombed Old Trafford, on it, um, which what?
2: I'm not sure if that was photoshopped or not. I think
1: it was. No, I. I it's. It I think it's. It's real. I think it's very much real. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And w- w- even more incongruously, although actually that this may kind of lend credence to the idea that I've been sadly duped here, but he was wearing <laughs> a. Um, <laughs> he was also wearing a Littlewoods cap like uh for like a sort of like a promotional cap for the FA Cup when it was first sponsored by yeah. Littlewoods um so i uh the, i mean the the t-shirt was certainly real it, you know it was it was a classic kind of outside the ground on a on a stall selling knockoff t-shirts that was definitely available um and i, I believe the picture itself is real
3: Again, this this willingness to kind of categorise people according to like, you know, what we think are the cultural touchstones in their country. So, I mean, we, we already had the three amigos. I remember, again, going to school in yeah. Hull, we had the reggae boys of Theo Whitmore, Ian Goodison playing playing mm. playing for Hull. Whether they liked reggae or not, we don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was just something that was kind of imposed on them. Yeah, I, I don't think we're in lo- alone in all this because I remember when sort of Luca Tony went to, to play in Germany uh, with with bayern hmm. um yeah there was that song which was just rhyming various different things that you associate with italy with his name so cannelloni lucatoni <laughs> pepperoni lucas e Perme, numero uno you know i mean just so wow. I, I think it's just oh. it's just again part of the the human condition that these things it doesn't matter what nationality <laughs> yeah. you see someone who's other and you just uh, you think what what do i think about them pizza i mean that pizza that Poor Benito Carbone and Palo Paolo Di Canio had to have their photo up There, I mean, oh my God! I mean, it's not it's not even mozzarella. It it's looks like incredible. it's kind of shredded <laughs> cheddar or something. It, 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 it looks like the sweet <laughs> sweet corn Your on there as well. soul is dying in front of sweet me. corn, which yeah. to an Italian to put on pizza is just mental. Worse, it might be even <laughs> pineapple, which you know was was mm. you know pineapple and pizza. Hawaiian was created by a Greek who went to Canada. I mean, it's just it's just mm. crazy. I am surprised they even stuck around um, after, after after. If they that put pineapple
2: kind of... on it, I think the deals may have been uh, may have hit a late yeah. snag. Um, to put it bluntly, um, uh, Nichols Nick mentioned the uh, sombreros for um, uh, Wigan's three Spaniards, which which is at least reasonably close. But um, Middlesbrough have good form for this because um when Janinho was unveiled uh, at the riverside the fans turned out in sombreros for that which you know depending on which sub- brazilian subculture you look at may or may not be accurate it all reached a head nick in 2008 when they signed Afonso Alves and he was um he was unveiled at the riverside sort of late january really grey day on t side and they had two samba dancers of course and uh in front of, I, d- I don't want to call it a packed riverside. It's sort of a semi-indifferent riverside. He was forced to do the um, customary keepy-ups, which he couldn't do for God knows uh, psychological reasons. And so he proceeded to to freestyle and uh, do some one twos with the with the Middlesbrough mascots nearby. And one of the mascots uh, smacked the ball into one of the samba dancers in the process. The whole thing was an absolute shambles, which was rather fitting, I suppose, in the end. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's the 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 whole idea of um, any kind of Brazilian, you know, if 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 Donga had had uh, come to the Premier League, he would have been hailed as bringing samba style to the yes, know, the, one of the most
2: samba style. Yeah. What... Is it the lazier is it the laziest concept yeah, in the I, entire um, I, thing of football? I think
1: so. I think <laughs> it I think it's mercifully been sort of vaguely retired now, but yeah, yeah, samba style for incredibly functional players who just like Fabio Rocha or someone like that. These these mm. kind of enormously um, sort of one-paced midfielders who uh, who just happen to be Brazilian and uh, they are hailed as bringing the samba style.
2: James, when
1: when do you think we finally got over Brazilians
2: coming to England as you know as a, as a kind of you know stop you in your tracks fascination like. They're allowed to be here, and some of them are crap, and some of them are just really just functional. It's fine. They're not all Samba stars. I think I think Rabino was the lightning
3: rod, like the the ultimate one. You know, I think in part because mm. that people found. Well, I say people, you know, sort of columnists on let's say the right of the tabloids found found the fee to be obscene, um, and yes. uh, and then he was was he the the world record transfer? He's very much part of this kind of very nouveau riche. Manchester City, and there was this idea that that he was a he was such a luxury that the idea of actually working hard and sort of uh, and, and performing without I mean this is the other classic thing that all kind of continental players have to put up with is if you wear a snood yes if you have gloves then you are <laughs> then you are somehow lesser or something you know we, we as Brits are this kind of supreme um, you know sort of uh, uh, paragons of kind of uh, of human strength, and and if, if you if you you know mm. you, you have to wear long sleeves and tights and that sort of thing, it somehow makes you lesser. Even though these countries also experience bad weather and extreme weather as well, I, I, you know. I, yeah. I, I always find when like players were being linked with Milan or Inter. It would always be like, ah, yes, you know, they want to swap the rain of Manchester for the sunshine <laughs> of Milan. It's like, God, have you spent any time in Milan? You know, it's mostly as grey as London is. It snows really bad. Are you crazy? So, yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. who the first... I, 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 I kind of feel that Rubinho allowed the country to kind of get it out, what they, they had this kind of, this sort of uh, this stereotype about, you know, sort of, Brazilians, and um, you know, if you know, he was he was put on that he was put on cold, sort of frozen pitches for our sins, I suppose, Um, and uh, and and we are now we are now better for it.
2: This inevitably leads us on, Nick, to um, the subgenre of the foreign influx, which was kind of much heralded, exotic-looking signings who turned out to be rubbish. You probably have you probably have um, a deep personal history here because uh, the first name that um, is on most people's lips here is Andrea Silenzi, who is of course the the first Italian in the Premier League. Um, he's very much one of the poster boys for what is essentially perennial top ten internet content, isn't it?
1: Yeah, very much a um, and as a Forest fan, I can tell you we were very excited about Silenzi uh, joining. You know, the, the, in in the the days of the mid nineties, you were obviously inherently just impressed by. Italian uh, uh, Italian footballers and you know mm. well he played in Serie A so ergo he must be good and, and what's more he played for Italy you know twice I think you know, yeah. two or three times or something like that um, but yeah it was it was kind of pre I, I think this I think it was predated by um there were there were rumours that Forrest were going to sign an Italian player, and there was an infamous um, back page of the local newspaper, which simp- the, 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 there was a b- an enormous banner headline, which simply read, "It's Baggio." Um, <laughs> now, the the Baggio in question was actually Dino Baggio, so there was a sort uh, of right, okay. there was a double was there, there was kind of a, a double whammy of the story being nonsense and it being the more kind of low key Baggio. Um, but you know, this was sort of I think just at the been just after the '94 um, World Cup, where you know Dino played, and uh, so we were sort of still impressed enough to be in awe at this the idea that, that an Italian player would would come to Forest. Salenzi, so you know, lis- listening to uh, people talk about him afterwards, it just sounds like he was a sort of a, confu- a a nice guy who was slightly confused and yeah. was kind of brought over to the premier league not quite against his will but you know he didn't really <laughs> didn't quite know what he was um, what he was joining and what who he was signing for and you know he just he didn't speak english and he he missed his family and um, not a kind of a, a particularly extraordinary tale other than the fact that forests you know signed him off a video and a re- recommendation from from someone or other when they were desperate and didn't have any strikers. That's another um, great
3: subsection of this, is when you're yeah. saying silenzi was was perhaps brought here against his will. The number of players who've mm. come from abroad thinking they were joining one club when they were actually joining another. <laughs> I, I remember Stefan Embia. I think, was signed by uh, Mark Hughes's, I think it was Hughes's QPR, Hughes or Redknapp, one of them, and mm. he thought he was joining... Rangers as in Glasgow Rangers which when he was growing up (laughs) he was like this is a massive club sort of I think Basil Bolly used to play for them Gazza used to play for them right that really appeals to me and then all of a sudden he finds himself at QPR and he's like okay well I'll I'll, I'll," kind of I think explains why QPR went down shortly afterwards but yeah (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. yes, this perhaps isn't sort of necessarily um, uh, specific to foreign players but there was also a kind of another subsection of that where where managers would sell a certain provincial club to a foreign player on the basis of its proximity to London. Um, there's <laughs> yes. quite there's quite a nice story in um, it, in Forest circles about Frank Clark selling the idea of um, bringing Brian Roy to Forest by telling his wife it was like 30 minutes. nothing was actually 30 minutes away from London. so she could, you know. <laughs> Ah, the estate agent. Oh, right? yeah,
0: yeah, yes. the classic thing. Yeah. Um, 27 minutes on the train to central London. Yes. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day or night. Yep, you heard that right courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more.
2: James, we asked uh, some of our listeners to suggest some, some signings that really excited them at the time, only to go on to royally disappoint them later on. Kevin says, I was sure that Savo Milosevic would lead Villa to become European champions. Um, <laughs> now, I remember, I remember the, the kind of fanfare that greeted um, Savo Milosevic joining Villa because... Um, one of the things that really kind of made him stand out as an exotic signing when he arrived was that Mm. he supposedly wore a bandana when he played. Yeah. And uh, this became such a thing that, and and I I swear, this is one of these things that you just remember from your childhood, but you can't prove, um, that Prittstick, the glue giants, (laughs) brought out a range of of Prittsticks themed along the idea of Premier League foreign imports. So there was Cantona one with its collar turned up. And uh, and there was a Savo Milosevic print stick with a bandana, which is I mean just absurd. Like what market are you going for here? Anyway, so the bandana thing became a, a, quite a big deal as far as I can remember before he before he before he played, and then he never wore it for Villa for reasons that became rather unclear, until about two years ago he gave an interview with The Telegraph, and this is what he said. Uh, There was a misunderstanding when I arrived because I had played with a bandana for a few games with Partizan. That was because I had 12 stitches in my head and it was only temporary. (laughs) By the time I joined Villa, they had made all these club bandanas and started to sell them, so I had to go along with it. I wore the bandana for a while, but it wasn't ideal for heading the ball, and eventually I stopped. I should have just told the club straight away that I don't usually wear a bandana, but I didn't feel like I could after they had all been made. Oh, just, what a way to... Start your career. (laughs) Battling situation. I can imagine someone
3: coming to this country for the first time, uh, again, having this legend kind of um, thrust on him, feeling he's unable to, to detach himself from this legend. He just has to go along with it. Yeah. Oh, Savo. Savo.
2: Nick Butters says, Ibrahima Bakayoko to Everton. He was so good on Championship <laughs> Manager, it just seemed like he could not possibly fail to be amazing. Spoiler, he failed to be amazing. Now, Championship Manager has probably a lot to answer for mm. here because these days, Football Manager is, is, is about as close as it could possibly be to, re- to reality in terms of how the players are rated and, and how they sit in the pantheon of, of the current game. But back then, it was a bit of a, more of a pot shot. And... The game was so popular then that if you, if, you, if you got fixated on someone and then they finally in real life came to England, that was it. They were going to be brilliant.
1: Yeah, and th- th- it also had a, 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 a way of completely warping expectations so that um, if a player was like world, absolutely world-beating on Championship or Football Manager and they turned out to be merely really good in real life... Mm then it became some kind of colossal disappointment and you judge that player accordingly the, the, the one that uh, in, in my kind of uh, golden era of playing championship slash football manager christian kivu was like th- th- this glowing god of defense and he, he was the the sort of dream signing for any t- any team that i played with now, Christian Kivu had a brilliant career. He he was in the I think he was in the Inter team that won the treble. He you know he played for he Roma as well, I think, didn't he? And he he you know he, he, very well decorated. But because he wasn't you know the second coming of Franco Baresi, based on which he was based on the the sort of games of, of Championship Manager I played, I kind of in the back of my mind, his career has been a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, thinking of Championship Manager yeah. legends, I mean. Imagine if Cherno
3: Samba had gone up to Middlesbrough. In that case, the Samba dances would perhaps have been more <laughs> more fitting, more more appropriate than for yeah. Ver, Virginio. I think, um, yeah, that would... Uh, at least there would be some kind of nominative, uh, yeah, sort of association there.
2: Well, he 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 ended up he ended up playing a, a couple of times for for the Gambia national mm. team. So presumably, someone at Middlesbrough's um, social media team would have had to uh, fire up the Gambia's Wikipedia page and find what their cultural cornerstones are. So God knows what have occurred. So let's let's just be happy collectively that that move didn't happen. Um, James, um, this one this one's a lovely little story to end this section. Um, uh, Derek Robinson says Paul Tavares. Now you may not have heard of him, but he says that he was a Portuguese striker signed stri- ah, by Romford Paul Tavares. on the back. <laughs> <laughs> crucial that it's just Paul it's not Paulo or anything like that uh, Derek says he was a Portuguese psycher signed by Romford on the back of a YouTube video which in hindsight probably wasn't him <laughs> he was taken off at half time on his debut and never seen again um, now a crucial addendum to this story is that this isn't just a, his story this is his, Paul Tavares's official biography on the Romford FC website <laughs> That's how well thought of he is. How? No diplomacy there. He was rubbish and we were fooled.
3: <laughs> well, not the not the only time that's happened. I mean, w- was he related to George Weyer? I mean, is this this is this the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> another another ringer.
2: Yes, you're probably hinting at Ali Dyer there, of course. Um, which is perhaps Nick the the more kind of crowd-pleasing aspect of the foreign influx, which is flops. And you know, spectacular flops. This is where this is where top ten list writers have have been mining gold all these years. Crucial, perhaps, to being a flop in English football. And I'm thinking along the lines of Marco Boogers <laughs> and uh, and and the like. Um, is this preconception that from if you come from a certain country, you won't be able to handle the English game? Now, whilst that does speak to kind of the insularity of English football and all that sort of stuff. I do wonder if that is actually a thing. I mean, I mean, despite the kind of homogeneity of, of European football, there are there are demands of the English game which seem to shock certain players from certain countries, I swear.
1: Yeah, I mean, but in the kind of the, the, the 90s, and there's probably still a, um, an element of this remaining, that um, not being able to handle the English game was actually a cipher for you're simply objectively not good enough um, you know, sure, John Dell Thomason may may have forged a, a fine career in you know in the Netherlands and, and Italy, but because mm. he was a bit rubbish at Newcastle, then you know he, he ergo he you know he, he couldn't handle the England game. Therefore, he was objectively rubbish and shouldn't be regarded as a serious entity at all. Um, but you know, as, as you say, there are. Uh, elements certainly in uh, in previous years of you know the the, the speed and the physicality of, uh, of English football mm. that players just may not uh, have enjoyed or uh, suited their game. It doesn't, it, it, but it, it always seemed to be linked to this kind of. It's like moral failing in them that if, if they couldn't, yeah. couldn't handle it, a game that was played at an objectively too fast pace, or they didn't particularly like being hoofed up in the air by Neil Ruddock or someone, <laughs> then they were they, they were uh, less of a, less of a man and therefore shouldn't be taken seriously.
2: James, the Premier League is uh, is historically so fond of its style of play, the pace and the intensity and all that sort of thing that goes with it. Um, I find it quite reassuring that. It, even perhaps in sort of 2020, there are players who are still taken aback by the intensity of the Premier League. Despite, I mean, I give for example um, Kai Havertz, who who had a couple of quotes attributed fairly early on in his Chelsea career about how astonished he was about how how fast it was and how knackered he was in his first game. Um, that's, that's quite reassuring that it still is a bit of an outlier. Footballistically,
3: Yeah, although it does come uh, with the association of being chaotic and tactically loose yeah. uh, as well, mm. or, or maybe just tactic-less uh, for, for much of its <laughs> career, for, for much of its time. Even though, for example, the best uh, coaches in the world now uh, work in the Premier League, uh, for a long time, I mean, I think even Mourinho, when he first came, uh, and some of the Italians as well said, well, we didn't have to do much in the way of kind of opposition analysis because it was like they play 4-4-2 yeah. from kickoff to full time. They don't change. It's so, <laughs> it's so bloody basic. It's, you know, no wonder we come here and clean up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still, there, there, there is this... Uh, I, I do like how certain players we've talked about, their utility, I suppose, in, in, in the Premier League narrative is, 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 is to teach us, for example. With Alfonso Alves, it's just like strikers from the de Vizier. Ah, you know. I know strikers from the era de vizier yeah. you know you, do, you it can be a Rude van Nistelrooy it can be an Alfonso Alves. And that's that that's his role in Premier League history is to be the pole the, the, you know, one of the poles that, yeah. that, that that tell us ooh yeah, he did score forty goals last year for Utrecht, but
2: yeah. Is he going to get more than ten in the Premier League? That's that's the thing. Perhaps he's like single-handedly responsible for the golden boot point system <laughs> um, they they impose on the uh, on the supposedly second-ranked nations in Europe, which I always feels very unfair. Um, but this this comprehension of English football as being as, as as being physically at least something that foreign players have to adapt to. It kind of works in the other direction. Now, James, I always think of Serie A here when when you hear of the very very rare. Uh, examples of of a British player going to to Italy. And the interview they always first give is they say, oh, it's just completely different over here. It's just so tactical. (laughs) It's just so tactical and slow. I mean, I say again, this is quite reassuring that styles of football are so different. I mean, it's good that it isn't the same across Europe, even though it seems to be becoming that way. Um, But it's it's good that, you know, you can go to a completely different country and football will be just so, you know, almost impenetrable for you on a mental level.
3: Yeah, I I think... um... Uh, football is becoming more and more homogenised, but certain things kind of remain. And uh, it is it is funny reporting on Serie still till to this day, which is like, just hours and hours of tactical work. Just shadow, shadow play. It sounds,
2: right. like, it sounds really boring. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, 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 I can kind of understand why no one would want to go yeah, and do that. <laughs> three
3: hours of video this morning. What the hell? Um, yeah. whereas, like, whereas Spain and La Liga, I think, still has like... They pass a lot, don't they? Pass, they pass, they pass loads. Mm. And uh, and uh, if strikers go from Italy to Spain, it's always like, God, I've got loads of chances there, loads of chances.
2: Yeah. Never get any in it. Never get any in Italy. No, no, nobody scores more than ten yeah. a season in Italy. I believe that yeah. is still true. No wonder Messi yes. scores sixty yes. goals a season. He gets ten chances a game. <laughs> yes, so we're in danger of, of turning it to zonal marking podcast. But let's, <laughs> let's not get too serious about this, Nick. Um, uh, let, let's go back into more comfortable ground for us. Um, there are a set of cliches which, which are indelibly linked with new foreign imports. Um, first of all, I always really enjoy this one, and this, this seems to pop up in pretty much any interview they give early doors, which is being taught English by teammates. Yes. How does that always go down? The
1: the unlucky foreign imports will be assigned the most banterous, <laughs> you know, English teammate to, to teach them English in which they will you know inevitably be taught that you know the English for a pint of milk is actually you know penis or something like that something, <laughs> so, something incredibly amusing to to uh, you know make it make themselves look silly at some stage and everyone has a good laugh meanwhile they
2: lovely specific example there I really enjoyed that I mean yes you're, you're right it is it is mostly sort of foreign players being innocently taught swear words for, for everyday things but there, there are sort of more uh, Inoffensive examples. Uh, I remember. Um, I think it was Viali um, uh, regaled a story once, James, that Dennis Wise taught him that there was a popular English phrase called "when the fish are down," and then he used it in a, in an interview, which just seems sort of I don't know, sort of Beano level um, um, shit housery. I think that's actually absolutely. Yeah, fine. it
3: actually, sounds quite innocent that for for someone coming from like the <laughs> yes. crazy gang. What what does it mean? Yeah, this is the thing. What's what's behind this? <laughs> When the fishes are down, I don't know.
2: Well, it was it was a corruption of when the chips ah. are down. So he simply he simply switched it in. But now, when I think about it, when the fish are down, does so does sound like something like maybe a Serie A footballer <laughs> would say in like a in so, like a dramatic press conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe it actually has added effect. I might start using when the fish are down. Uh, it has sort of almost like Eric Cantona esque um, appeal. Now we we touched on this already, but um, this preoccupation we have almost we almost in, in, impose this on. Foreign signings when they join, which is getting them to comment on both the weather and the food, which seems both unfair on them and us. <laughs> Leave us alone and stop making them appraise our food and our weather. There's nothing we can do about either of those things.
1: Yeah, and it's certain, as as James mentioned before with with Milan, that they the certainly used to be a sort of correlation between foreign and sun. Like it doesn't didn't really matter where a player <laughs> was from. It could be from Norway or something like that. That goes well, of course you know will will they be able to play in middlesbrough on a, I know and we're wandering into a very very familiar cliche territory here will they be able to do it etc but um it's it's there's a there's there's a kind of starting point of those sort of very tiresome cliches where there is just an assumption that foreign players can't handle you know anything below about 10 degrees
2: but james we you know we mentioned the weather and and how it feels like such a sort of flimsy tired concept to raise with someone but yet this this went pretty deep um there's an athletic piece recently about how players have to be looked after when they're you know when they're signed and um up with the Manchester clubs, there was this kind of constant underlying paranoia that players would would um, would choose a London club over London club over them because you know the glamour of the of the city and stuff, and then the the weather might be better. So apparently they produced kind of weather charts for Manchester to prove that it didn't actually rain more there than it did in London, um, which is like an astonishing length to go to to combat what is. A very, very surface-level cliche.
3: Yeah, the, I think the other thing—if uh, anyone's gone to like Carrington or to, to Manchester United for a, for a, for an interview at their training ground—I mean, it, 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 as Daniel Taylor, I think, wrote in his Rashford piece. It's it's undiscoverable. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's you can't find it on a map. Your your sort of uh, yeah. sat nav just like conks out. It takes you into some kind of uh, some like weird in, industrial estates and that sort of thing. And you can imagine just sort of you know sort of for the first time going there thinking. Yeah, well totally. I'm I'm completely disoriented. I like where where the
2: hell am I? What is this? You know, in <laughs> that
3: respect having someone to drive you there or sort of you know take you home, but yeah, mm. bring it on, please. I needed it.
2: If I got signed by a foreign club, I'd get driven everywhere. I mean, the idea of just having to drive in a foreign country terrifies me. I would do something terrible and wrong almost straight away. So yeah, if I was if I was on that much money, I think I'd just have a, a chauffeur pretty much everywhere and and take whatever flat comes with it. Nick this is perhaps one of my favourite cliches that come with certain um, type of foreign import, which is when the cousin slash brother slash best mate gets signed to keep them company, which is astonishing reason to sign a player and register him in your in your squad. I love it; it's
1: brilliant. Yeah, it's kind of uh, the, the the for some reason the one that springs instantly to mind was Christian Benteke's brother, jo- Jonathan Benteke. <laughs> Jonathan Benteke. Yeah.
2: Sounds made up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Most of
2: these players do sound made up, but he he definitely
1: does. But I suppose it's kind of a, it's slightly more logical than getting you know Jimmy Fivebellies to go and live in Rome with with Gaza because mm. you know at least there is some sort of a- empathy about the life of a professional footballer. And they're not necessarily going to just going to be playing ludicrous drinking games with them or, or something like that to, <laughs> to you know to keep them company. But it's it's always a sort of slightly um, incongruous thing when very occasionally that young that brother signed to keep them company or you know or whatever mm. turns out to be quite good oh, okay. Thorgan Hazard is, twist. Thorgan Hazard is the one that springs yes. to mind who everyone just kind of well he's just you know he's like you know one of the Pogba, other Pogbers who's uh, te- technically a professional footballer but actually not very good uh, and then you know you, I'm, I'm still surprised when he, I see him on Dortmund's team sheet kind of thinking wasn't he just some kind of punchline that the make way yeah yeah
2: tiki and and happy i think i think it's time we actually did a stock take of all the hazards because <laughs> every now and then i think we we seem to lose one i think there's there are i think there are four hazard brothers and as it, as is the case with all these sorts of things you know whether it's true or not the youngest one is always all well, he could be the best footballer <laughs> yeah. <it's> utter bollocks <laughs> just 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 bollocks it's just not going to be i don't know why it's always the youngest one because what has he soaked in all that football <laughs> As he got so angry at losing to them over the years, he said, that's it, I'm going to be them best of the lot anyway James we have some listener contributions for some of these footballing charlatans Mm. Adrian Green suggests Fabio I'd never heard of this guy he was Emerson's cousin at Middlesbrough in the mid 90s he looks remarkably like Emerson the rumours were he was either his cousin or his brother-in-law which shouldn't have any resemblance at all I should hope and um, apparently he started against Huddersfield then disappeared from seemingly the face of the earth (laughs) and uh, going on this uh, chap's Wikipedia page uh, he only has one line Fabio Moreira is a Brazilian retired footballer that's it um, so he's perhaps one of the more obscure ones uh, there is of course Joel Cantonar, who signed for Stockport uh, and Peterborough in 1993 and 1994 and uh, a lovely little story about him this appears to be his only achievement in english football Uh, on the way to the 1994 second division playoff final with stockport he apparently entertained the players coach and their families by by singing all that she wants by ace of base in a comical (laughs) "allo allo" french accent which you know i'm reading this verbatim from the account i suspect that probably was his accent i don't think he was putting it on anyway pick those apart
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, if if How he was singing all, all that she wants, then uh, I would uh, I would most certainly be signing him. I, I would I would be Fergie picking up the mm. phone saying, "Do you want to join Eric at uh, Manchester United?" Because uh, I mean, of of all the things, I mean, maybe he choice. he had more talent than the the actor Eric. I mean, it's just uh, I mean that's clearly a very you know it's it's not just football that these these Cantonars were kind of yeah, very kind of they could turn their hand to anything clearly
2: uh, other. Examples that I perhaps wasn't aware of. Nick Julio Santa Cruz was signed by Blackburn, presumably to keep his older brother Roque happy. I'd never heard of Julio Santa Cruz.
1: No, there's al- there is always a danger that the- someone has taken this particular over of players. Created a Wikipedia page for them with a, a, a series of kind of small but plausible foreign clubs and is you know thoroughly duping us all because I you know I'd never heard of him either but I'm perfectly prepared to believe that he was real. Julio Santa Cruz? It sounds yeah. so plausible.
2: But yeah, it just I feel like he was just doomed to failure because of, you know just the the, the sheer weight. I feel the, like
3: he had a, a reggaeton the, the, summer time. hit that was the, very much the like song <laughs> of a summer of like 2006 <laughs> something like that. It's very much. Mm. Julio Santa Cruz, kind of Despacito very much sort of yeah, his thing.
2: Yeah, either that or thirteen games of the reserves and one goal. I wanna, I wanna finish on a. a Kind of a slightly converse note, really, which is the concept of the English premium, Nick, which is something I feel is talked about a lot, but never actually defined. Can we quantify this? What is the English premium? Because it was brought about by the foreign influx. The foreign influx um, supposedly strangled the flow of English talent to such an extent that we had to pay over the odds for any English players who were good. So that's the English Premium. But what is it? like? How much are we adding on to a transfer
1: fee here? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it feels like it's sort of, I don't know, 25%, something like that. I'm just clicking, clicking that's that. Sort of VAT-ish yeah. kind of levels. Yeah. But <laughs> right. the, 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 the thing about the English Premium was in, when it, the, the concept was introduced in the 90s, there was no reason for it. It was just kind of because it's nice to have English players or something. But then in latter years, when it... When, um, it you actually had to have a certain number of English slash homegrown players in your squad. It actually became, it sort of became more of a thing, but then yeah, it did. But it didn't seem to kind of necessarily translate into actual transfer fees any more than it had in the past. So it was just it's just another sort of case of I don't know what you call it English exceptionalism or something like that. That there is there, yeah, there, I suppose so. There is a sort of there, there was a um a kind of inherent. Uh, assumption that English players would be better or would, you know, will be able to cope with the cold or, you know, um, would be able to cope with the, the being hoofed up in the air by Neil Ruddock or someone.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it, that is the ultimate test. Um, James, it feels like a particularly kind of golden generation y the the English premium. I think they came around at roughly the same time. So when I try and think about who the first player may have been to have commanded the English premium, I'm thinking. Rio Ferdinand to Leeds for about eighteen million, Lampard to Chelsea for about eleven million. They seem fairly inflated prices for the time. What do you reckon? So someone suggested David Platt to (laughs) Barry for five point five million, which is going back a bit.
3: Well, that's just Italian largesse. (laughs) I I would say that in in the cases you've mentioned, so Ferdinand and Lampard, both outstanding players of their generation who merit those transfer fees, right? Um, the, the ones that are always curious to me, Seth Johnson. Yes. But that's that's more yes. kind of Leeds United absurd. Um, you know, you're earning so much. I'm I'm gonna go into this negotiation. You want ten grand, but I'm gonna start it by saying thirty grand, and basically when I see that you're kind of like, what the hell is going on here? I think you're you're offended, so I'm gonna add my favorite, more money.
2: Possibly not true football stories. <laughs> yeah, because
3: yeah, apparently Seth Johnson um, wasn't yeah, think- there when, when this negotiation <laughs> yeah. took place. But um, you know, he had an unfortunate career after that. In part I feel, not only because of the injuries, but he was just never able to live that kind of that down you know it sounds like the subject of a jeff powell yeah. column <laughs> yeah. i
2: i think i think seth johnson uh, listener jack pierce uh, suggested him because he says i think leeds introduced the english premium with the signing of seth johnson for a then heady 7.5 million in 2001 and he's still got 18 months left on his contract hasn't he uh, says jack. <laughs> um but but i think both of you both of you are correct i think Seth Johnson really might be the sweet spot for the English premium as as this vague concept, for three reasons. One, he was English, so he ticks that box. Secondly, of course, he was one of the answers to the perennial English left-sided problem, (laughs) so that makes his value skyrocket straight away. And then you factor in the Ridsdale-era Leeds thing, which is just paying silly money for all sorts of things, goldfish (laughs) and that sort of thing, Uh, you might just have the ultimate English premium product there it, we've solved
1: it he, he also fits the kind of category of I, I always think that football clubs are haunted by the concept of the guy from whichever record label it was who turned down the beatles who they they just don't they don't want to be the guy who looked at X, you know, prospect when they were 16 years old and decided nah, they're no good. I won't, won't bother signing them. And it turns out that's it. And that 16 year old was Wayne Rooney or something. <laughs> so any it, it, it feels like any young English player who shows some promise, who think they think well, this kid might actually be the real thing. There is a, a, an extra bit placed on their transfer fee because of the fear that. If you don't sign this kid, then you're going to look ridiculous in a few years when he turns out to be brilliant.
2: Thank you both for um for getting to the bottom of the foreign influx for me because it's something that's.
1: Can we get to the foreign
3: outflow as well? Because I think this is the
2: outflux, the, 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 the
3: reflux. Well, I, I, yeah, maybe the reflux in terms of where do these where do these players <laughs> end up being kind of choked up, and it's invariably the Turkish Super League. Oh yes, it's invariably the Turkish Super oh, League. Oh, hundred percent. Where Hugo Rodriguez yeah. is 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 still doing it. Kevin Miralas, uh Stephen Colkers even mm. at Alanya Sport. Um, Demba Barr and NASA yeah. Chadley, Besak Shahir. Even <laughs> even of NASA Chadley. Yeah, Chadley. Podolski and Antalya mm. Sport. My personal favourite, just because it's the kind of goal we had never seen before and haven't seen since. Papis Cisse Fem- 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 Batshe, um as well. Uh, Loic Remy at spore which it, it sounds like a Wu Tang club, um, but uh, <laughs> what, he's there now? Yeah, he's there now.
2: Yeah, that that is absolutely astonishing. Um, I, I I say as I'm as I Google what is the Turkish term for the foreign influx, and it's Yabantsi akini. So that's what they're going on about over there. Yeah. The strangulation of Turkish footballing talent is all down to the it, it, it sounds Yakuni, like they've... which who sounds like someone who probably would play in the circus. Super League.
3: <laughs> and it also, it, it calls to mind, like, if they took Premier League years on the road, so rather than it was just a TV show, but you could go and watch these players sort of still playing, just, you know, sort of... yeah. Fly to Turkey.
2: Yeah, like strictly, but like the the slightly less good roadshow that goes on after yeah. it. Yeah, maybe we should do we should do that for, with this podcast, but instead of me, maybe my brother or someone <laughs> like that. I thank you both for joining me for a journey through the foreign influx. I think we've nailed it, and I'm so glad that we've nailed the concept of the English premium, the first podcast ever <laughs> to have achieved that. Thanks, Nick. Pleasure. Thank you. And thank you to Jay. Thanks, Adam. A River dirty Goodbye.
3: The Athletic.